When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Now Caicedo. Oh, lovely feet, Caicedo! Oh, goal! That is a super goal. That is an incredible finish. Oh, and they may be out of jail here. Oberdorf goes down. Penalty. Straight down the middle. And Germany are back on level terms with barely a minute to spare. Now they need another! I'm Michelle Owen and this is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast World Cup edition. Today we're looking back on day 11 of the FIFA Women's World Cup. Colombia produced a shock, a huge shock, the shock of the tournament so far, beating one of the favourites, Germany 2-1 in the final minutes of stoppage time. Group A came to an end today with Switzerland and Norway going through at the expense of co-host New Zealand in the final round of their group fixtures. And Morocco got their first win at a Women's World Cup by defeating South Korea 1-0. Joining me today are The Athletics, Tamara Griffin and Steph Young. Hello both. Hello, hello. Hello. One place to start then, Group H. One of the biggest shocks in Women's World Cup history happened at the Sydney Football Stadium in Sydney, Gadigal. Colombia took the lead twice to defeat two-time champions Germany 2-1. Uh, this game did really come alive in the second half, but what did you make of the first half in general, Tamara? <sighs> Within the first few minutes, I knew that it was going to be a game we were going to be talking about for the rest of the week. I was completely locked in. I think that these were two sides that immediately established a sense of respect for each other and knew that they were going to push each other to the limits. It was immediately physical. I noticed pretty quickly that Colombia had brought their defensive best. I was incredibly impressed with their organization defensively throughout the game, but they didn't waste any time in establishing that in the first half. And the tension was established so early, I knew that I needed to be locked in the entire time. It set us up really for the second half in the best way. Yeah, Tamara, you've beautifully set us up for the second half there because early on, Linda Caicedo, we talked about her before the tournament. We know she's a special talent. It felt like this was the moment she arrived on the world stage, Steph. I mean, this goal, it's probably going to be goal of the tournament. Don't want to get ahead of myself, but against Germany as well, in such a tight area. The skill, the way she picked out her spot, I mean, talk us through that goal. I thought it was absolutely incredible. It's the kind of thing where you as a normal person see someone do this and you're like, I can't make my body do that. That's what separates these elite athletes from us normies. And the thing is, this is her third World Cup in a year, I think, because she's been at Youth World Cups as well. And so, like, it's not necessarily a secret that she's capable of this, but now it's like 
everybody saw it. So there's just no like putting the chicken back in the bag or whatever. It, <laughs> the the foot control, the tight control in space, and then like taking that tenth of a second to pick out the placement of the shot. It was like I don't know. It's like the culmination of it's like when you see. Have you ever seen a, a time lapse of a beautiful painting, and you're like, "How is this going to come together?" And then at the end, you don't quite know how you got from A to B, but you realize you saw like the progression of like this this work of art coming together. That's kind of how it felt like to me. Yeah, I love that as um, a simile. Is it would be a what am I looking for? What's the word? Not Metaphor. Metaphor. Mm-hmm. Metaphor. Absolutely. So just to recap about Linda Caicedo, we, we mentioned her in the pre-tournament podcast. She made her professional debut age 14 in 2019. Then in 2020, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. She went, uh, she had surgery, chemotherapy. She was just 15. And then last year, she was a Copper America player of the tournament. She was 17. And this year, she's signed by Real Madrid. And she's playing in the World Cup, scoring goals like that at the age of 18. I mean, talk about inspirational. Mark Carey in a previous episode of this podcast said she could genuinely become one of the best players in the world. And Tamara, he's looking pretty accurate with that prediction, isn't he? Absolutely. I mean, this is a player who inspires metaphors of art. This is a player who commits feats that barely seem human, that make me at least already excited to become an old person and like sit on the stoop in the neighborhood or tell my grandkids where I was when I saw these goals take place. This is a generational talent who is could potentially, I won't say single-handedly because I don't want to discredit the talent and the effort of the other Colombian players, but this is like a paradigm-shifting player. And not to get too emotional, but I just feel so grateful to bear witness to it. And there aren't too many players that you can say that at the age of 18, having accomplished everything that she's already done. So it's humbling in a way to be able to know her now and to know how much further she can go over the course of her career. And what's amazing as well is a couple of days ago in training, um, she fainted during the training session. So there were some question marks if she'd be fit for this game. Um, but thankfully, all seems well. Now, the game opened up, as you'd expect, after that goal. Um, Steph, but Germany, they just seemed a little bit out of sync, some loose passes, not like them, really. Well, if you look at the match report, which, first of all, I for once, have to credit FIFA. They are pumping out a lot of data and some of it is coming out very quickly. So their technical group is probably surviving on caffeine and adrenaline at this point. So huge credit to them. But (laughs) if we look at the quick stats that come out of the game, because we are recording this very quickly after the game has completed, where Germany outshot Colombia, they outpossessed Colombia. If we look at, you know, the fouls and, and the cards and things, you would think that this is a team that was in control, but I think I keep coming back to something that Temi Katlana said to me, who plays for South Africa, Banyanya Banyana. And I interviewed her in Louisville a couple of months ago, and I was asking her about the group that South Africa is in because, you know, especially with the expansion to 32 teams, you're seeing a lot of lower ranked teams in the, you know, maybe 30s, 40s, 50s coming up against top 10 or top 15 teams. And she was just like, completely unfazed by it, which you you want. She's a very confident person in general, but she was just like, it can also just come down to who wants it more. This is something that we saw with New Zealand, Norway 
as well. Yes, to a certain extent, you cannot overcome like some countries are just richer, have bigger populations, better development pipelines. But when it comes down to finer margins, who wants it more can make the difference. It's like it's a cliche of sport, right? But it has made the difference several times in this tournament. And that's kind of what it felt like here. And it's a delight as well, this tournament. The fact that we aren't seeing these big scorelines, the fact that perhaps it's closer between some of these lesser-ranked nations, like you said, Steph, and the higher-ranked nations than, than we'd have expected. It's brilliant. Um, the 85th minute, there's that ball across the German box. I really thought that was going to be 2-0, Carcido. I just thought, stretch, stretch your leg. Uh, much easier for me to say than actually being on the pitch, of course. And then the penalty, Tamara. Um, talk us through what happened. So one of the things that I think makes this game, one of the best that we've seen, if not the best we've seen so far in this tournament, is that the level of competition, the level of passion was so tight that it created that knife's edge margin of error. And what I saw was a brief lapse in concentration from Colombia defensively that allowed Lena Oberdorf to break through that back line that had up until that point, I thought, been spectacular and draw the foul, as Lena Oberdorf is wont to do, because she's brilliant. (laughs) Um, And it it happened in a flash. I had literally just been, like, hit send on a tweet, praising Colombia's defense, and then that happened. And these are the kinds of games where that is truly all it takes. And that's another thing that I personally haven't seen too much of, especially over extended periods of time in a match. And one of the things that, like I said, made it one of the most exciting that I've seen so far. And it felt like in that moment, maybe Colombian dreams had gone pop as Alexandra Pop popped <laughs> the penalty away. But incredibly, many of us thought, and I'll be honest, I thought, OK, Germany probably go on and win it from here. They looked like they might have more pressure in those final moments. But 96th minute, Colombian corner and the header, Steph. Wow. I mean, is this a brilliant header or is it poor defending? I think there's a combo of the two because... Yes, the defending's not great. I don't necessarily blame a keeper in that situation. Look at how much traffic there is between the goalkeeper and the person taking the header. Yes, to a certain extent, keepers should be, you know, understanding the angles and the positioning. You also look at that. I have the benefit, obviously, of getting to replay it and then, like, stop and start, stop and start. And you can kind of see her teammate sort of setting up a little bit of a body block right in front of her, which is an important part of organizing on set pieces. It was the same thing. Maybe we'll get to it later. But this is something that happened in France as well, another lapse in concentration type of goal on, you know, a set piece. Um, except for the French and Kenza Dali afterwards in the mix zone came through and we were asking her about what did you see on the corner? And she said she and Renard were talking to each other in the setup in the box. Renard kind of tells her like, just set up a block for me, set like create a little bit of uh, obstruction for me and I'll do the rest essentially. And that's what happened. And that <sighs> turned out to be the winner and arguably the best game of the tournament. But Germany might complain maybe about the physicality of Colombia, but then they started to match it at times. Saying that, you know, the game wasn't stopped. There weren't loads of cards, Tamara. So is it a fair game? I think yes. I mean, we have to credit Germany for their tactics, of course. And while they might not have gone the the physical aggression route in terms of how they tried to manage the game, I definitely think that once they understood the tenor of the officials' calls, they used that to their advantage, absolutely. Especially once they realized that 
they were having trouble breaking through Columbia's defense. They started drawing fouls in and around the box. I saw Sarah DeBritz do it a few times, trying to get those those spot kicks that unfortunately didn't go in their favor. So I think it was more a, a matter of taking multiple routes toward the same objective, if anything else. I think I saw Germany trying to work the ref a bit more, and I think Colombia relied maybe more on their bodies to, to get the job done and let the, the calls be what they may. And I respect that. I mean, everyone has their their strategies, and it was really interesting to see those different strategies in conversation in a match like this that, by many other metrics, felt very even. On a lighter note for Germany... Who knew that Clara Bull was into crocheting? Have you seen the little mascot? Have you seen this stuff? It's called Waru, which uh, means fire. The name was voted for by the squad. And it's a little koala that's going everywhere with, with them. Uh, have you seen this? You are a fan of the cuddly koala mascot? I got to say Waru is like one of my favorite. So you can say it properly, see? Maybe. Uh, I can't say it. One of my favorite uh, <laughs> parts of the tournament. Like in, in a World Cup, yes, the games are exciting, but you also like the human moments where, you know, you're like, oh, I would like to see the baby. <laughs> so, and then, you know, they tuck it into their, their jackets and stuff. It just really makes the team feel human. Like, are there a bunch of people who are playing a game and they enjoy it? You know, there, there's a joy to it. It's not just this grim, like, the weight of a nation is upon you. Don't disappoint us. Go forth. You know? I love this stuff. Tamara, you uh, enjoy the mascot as well. I wish every team had crocheted a mascot now. I know. And I think so many people are curious about what these players are doing in their downtime when they're not playing, not sitting in an ice bath or like a cryo chamber, you know. And now we are able to entertain ourselves or at least imagine some of them sitting in a corner with a cup of tea, maybe crocheting a koala or some other cuddly animal. I think so much about how much curiosity and how much appetite there is for these players as human beings, as you said, Steph, off the field. And this is such a wholesome. I also think that I, I appreciate the sort of juxtaposition between the the power that is Germany as a team with like this knitted stuffed animal. It just is. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, people are eating it up on social media. It's delightful. I want one. I want to learn how to make one. So uh, I'm here for it as well. And it's lovely to see, as you say, that human side to the players. So Group H looks like this after two games. Colombia atop six points from two matches. Germany second, one win and one loss so far, three points. Morocco behind them in third with three points. And Korea Republic, two games played, no points. And up next in Group 8 is the Korea Republic against Germany, Morocco against Colombia. They're both at 11am on Thursday, the 3rd of August. We had two simultaneous kickoffs for the first time in this World Cup as Group A came to a conclusion. Switzerland were playing New Zealand and Norway took on the already eliminated Philippines. We'll talk about those games and a first ever Women's World Cup win for Morocco after this. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. So the final standings of Group A have been decided. Switzerland topped the group with Norway in second, but this is how things stood before those games began. Switzerland were top with four points from two games. New Zealand was second with three points. Philippines in third with three points and Norway fourth with one point. So it was wide open. Uh, Norway scored six minutes into their game against the Philippines. But as long as New Zealand and Switzerland were drawing, a 1-0 win wasn't enough for the Norwegians. But Norway got a second, which put them into second place in Group A on goal difference, knocking New Zealand out. Well, what do you do then as a coaching staff when you're dependent on another results staff? Do you get them to focus on their game? Have you got someone in your ear telling you what's going on? I'm pretty sure someone else must have been watching it or hearing it at least. Well, we talked about this a little bit today. As I'm speaking, I've come from the Canada and Australia match day minus ones. And someone asked Bev Priestman because I think there's a scenario where a draw still allows Canada to go through. They don't have to push for all three points. And he was like, do you play to a draw? And Bev Priestman, to her credit, was her usual positive self and gave that question, you know, some serious consideration. She was like, no, the moment you start to play to a draw, you lose out on your strengths as a group. For us, it's a focus on all three points. I think when you are reliant on somebody else, so in this case, if Republic of Ireland, I believe if they beat Nigeria by a certain amount of goals, there's a scenario where a Canada-Australia draw sends Canada-Australia through, right? But you don't want to deal with anybody else. You can only control what you can control. This is something we hear about players constantly in tournament, out of tournament over the years. You can only control the controllables. It's the only way they're kind of getting through the world, which is very capricious. And we'll get to this in a moment, I'm sure, with Australia, where like random chance doesn't care about all your preparation. So all you can do is really focus on your own preparation. And so if you're relying on somebody else, for example, we just talked about group H, I think South Korea can technically still go through if they beat Germany by five goals. Um, yeah, it would have to be some swing. Yeah, right. But they they were relying to a certain extent on Colombia and they got it. But it, these are the kinds of things like, you can't count on them. You can only count on yourself. And I think that's what every single team in this tournament thinks. Like, we can only count on us. Yeah, Norway did their bit. They got their third, the fourth, and a fifth. Uh, the Philippines went down to 10 players. Ugh, that was a tough way to go out of a World Cup, wasn't it, Tamara, for them? Heartbreaking. And it felt, because the goals were so spaced out throughout the game, it felt like a, like watching a heart slowly break. I mean, they did rain goals um, within <laughs> short periods of time throughout. But to watch the the morale wane and to watch the frustration rise to the point where, you know, players are, are committing red card level fouls was rough, especially given the joy and the success and the beautiful quality of play that we've seen the Philippines display throughout the tournament. They are certainly one of those teams that sort of galvanized many neutrals throughout the tournament with that contagious energy. Um, and you never want to see teams go out that way. So it was, it was rough. Um, I 
do not think that they played their best. I do think that Norway was on one. <laughs> um, they finally arrived, right? They finally turned up to this tournament. Completely. I mean, people were wondering where this team has been. And now that we're, you know, hearing some bits and pieces about what might be going on within the camp, I mean, we can sort of draw our own conclusions or at least theories based on that. But I think the combination of those two things, I can understand how that came as a shock maybe to the Philippines based on what they'd seen and studied of Norway throughout this tournament. So completely unfortunate for them to exit that way. I do think they have a lot to be proud of. They've they've made history in their World Cup debut. And hopefully, once they sort of heal from the wound, the immediate wound of this tournament, they'll be able to sort of find balance between those swings. In stoppage time, that header from keeper Victoria Essen went wide. I mean, always here for keepers going up. The look of, of what could have been was one we can all empathise with. Did New Zealand just not have enough of a forward threat really to really trouble Switzerland, Steph? Well, first, uh, a little side note that... New Zealand game was still finishing out during Australia's press conference, which was Tony Gustafson and uh, Emily Van Egmond. And Emily Van Egmond kept cutting her eyes over to the TV screen in the middle of the questions. I think that header like was happening as Gustafson was detailing his own thoughts about Australia, Canada, and we were all just like, "Oh my God, the keeper has gone up for the goal!" Like you, you want a keeper goal, right? And yes, I think New Zealand didn't have enough. It looked like a lot of running with like not a lot of end product. That kind of characterized New Zealand, though, a lot, a lot, not just through this tournament, but you know, kind of as as a a team performance, especially leading to this, into this tournament. That's why the Norway game was such a shock, right? Because they'd had so many awful results going into this throughout their preparation and then i think what it enabled them to do is like play free no one has any expectation of you right and then they gained expectations and they fumbled the bag against philippines a little bit and then after those first two they did you know take it it was a zero zero result they didn't get blown out or anything against switzerland so i do think there was again that return of like what is there to lose what is there to be afraid of like the weird stuff has already happened so let's just play our game unfortunately the game that they were able to play wasn't enough no it was switzerland and norway then who will progress from group a how do you like the look of them so far going into the knockout stages tamara i have to admit i have not yet been impressed they have had moments of of brilliance and have clearly done enough to advance I am still waiting for a full 90 minutes. I'll even take 75 of a full team cohesion. I haven't seen it yet. I believe that they are capable. And maybe there is a bigger plan crafted by people who have higher soccer IQs even than mine to sort of build, which which would be brilliant. But I... I do get the sense that they are a bit disjointed, even even as they are getting the results that they need to advance throughout the tournament. So definitely going to keep my eye on them. Um, I have huge respect um, for Ramona Bachman in particular. I think that a lot of times it was her sort of like raw determination that was carrying the team, especially in their first couple of games. If I'm being completely honest, I'm still sort of waiting for them to snap into that that next level, that next gear. Yeah, and we touched on Norway, Steph. There was some talk before the game about the likes of Caroline Graham Hansen being restored to the starting eleven, uh, making a difference. But was it a question of the opposition they were facing rather than problems maybe behind the scenes being fixed? 
this is something I say a lot, and it's not just about the World Cup, which is when we're trying to diagnose things that we see, it's the iceberg, right? We have 10% of the information, and then 90% is not visible to us. We might have a slightly more of a window than your average person, but I really don't, you know, people might be like, oh, you're an insider or whatever. I'm like, no, we have no clue what goes on behind closed doors, especially when players are together in a tournament like this. Again, I hate to keep going back to the Matildas, but that's another camp or Canada as well, where they lock down and like so little leaks out because they're like, we're in the bubble and nothing is coming in or out. The United States does this as well. So to what extent is it on-field versus off-field issues? I honestly couldn't say you just don't know for certain like if one person is off it throws a whole group off or if one of the team leaders has a weird vibe going on you you really can't say these things are so hard to manage I would never want to manage 23 of the most high functioning people in my country while the entire (laughs) world is watching us do you know what I'm saying and being with them for weeks at a time as well intense yeah excellent point The first game of the day saw Morocco secure their first ever victory at a Women's World Cup with a 1-0 win over South Korea. Tamira, for Morocco, their first ever World Cup win. I mean, this is a seismic moment for them, isn't it? Massive. I cannot wait to see the montage of World Cup debutantes' first goal celebrations because they get me every time. (laughs) They are just such an outpouring of emotions and really give you the sense of every step in the journey that the team took to get to that moment. Ibtisam Drady from Morocco gave us everything that we wanted in that goal celebration. It was a beautiful header into the side netting, something that I plan to watch on repeat a few times before I go to bed tonight, personally. Um, (laughs) I'm interspersing that with uh, Linda Caicedo's goal. But beautiful moment. I'm glad that they, regardless of what happens, um, for all of these first-time World Cup teams, I'm glad that for those who have who have been able to have this moment, I'm I'm thrilled for them. Um, and yeah, Morocco was was no different in in terms of that that huge moment, securing a win and scoring their first goal in in the World Cup. The doors open for Morocco, Steph. You know, Germany's defeat to Colombia. This is now very possible. Yeah, and this is something that they talked about before the tournament. I went to their uh, first uh, match day minus one, and they talked about how they wanted to have the same moment that the men had had in Qatar, where, you know, they kind of defied the odds, people didn't have high expectations, and then, what? hello, I think a little bit of it was South Korea. Honestly, it's a shocking level of underperformance to me as someone who doesn't super closely follow my uh, motherland um, out there. But I I mean, I, in the grand scheme of things, I have to say that I love it. It's so good for the tournament. It's so good for the game. And it's great for the, the players themselves who definitely came into this tournament. I, I think about their, their captain, Shabak, saying like we're not here to make up the numbers and their coach was saying like we are here to fight so you know nobody is coming in here thinking oh you know we were kind of a a fluke or we got lucky in our confederation or whatever and this obviously is going to give them a huge boost in thinking all right let's see how far we can take this you don't know what's going to happen Beth Priestman said it today anything can happen in a world cup for South Korea Tamara two games two defeats Germany's their final game, but then we've seen today anything can happen. It's not been a good World Cup for them, but 
it could be a hazardous final game for Germany. They have to win. They do, and they are potentially going to be a bit vulnerable following this this loss from Colombia um, for reasons of chaotic good, as I like to describe them. <laughs> um, these are the kind of games I live for because you have a team that is hungry to leave with something um, in South Korea, this last chance to redeem themselves, to gather themselves and regroup and put on a performance that they can be proud of. You have a German side that have been exposed um, in a lot of ways to a team that they hopefully did prepare for, um, definitely seemed prepared for, for a lot of a lot of those 90 minutes, but we're still stunned. And those are, in a tournament in which we've already seen things that were perhaps unthinkable happen, for this dynamic to, to happen within that space, I think just heightens the unpredictability. So it's going to be one to watch, which I feel like I say this about almost every game in this tournament, but uh, <laughs> no different in this case. Morocco's Nuhela Benzina has become the first player to compete on this stage while wearing a hijab. There's a piece on The Athletic by Mina Ibrahim on how the attitude towards hijabs varies massively depending where a game is played in France, for example. Uh, players are banned from wearing them during matches. But as with many things in this World Cup, uh, Steph, it feels like it feels like steps forward are within the areas where conversations still need to be happening. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to note FIFA has approved head coverings for religious purposes. So it's not just hijab. It's if you cover, for example, if you're uh, Jewish and you cover or if you wear a turban, I believe, if you are Sikh. So you know, as long as it's like a, a sport version that doesn't present, you know, because that was the original argument, right? Like, oh, a hijab is dangerous. It might tangle with a player. And there's actual sport hijabs, and there have been for a while because people who wear hijab have been playing sport for a long time. So they've all found ways to, like, cover according to their preferences while also still playing sports. You know, I, I thought it was interesting. When I went to the match day minus one presser, I was with my friend Shuri Ahmed from uh, Canada, and she was kind of talking to the Moroccan press in her much better French than mine, asking them, like, what's the vibe? What are you here to, what are you interested in? What are you covering? None of them brought up this story because to them, it's completely normalized to see a woman in hijab. And they're like, yeah, of course, there's a woman in hijab on the team. And I think it's to us here in the United States, obviously in France, obviously this is an important conversation to have. But I would love for us to understand that, like, we're the weirdos about this, you know? We're, we're, we're making it weird and it doesn't need to be weird. She's someone who covers, she wears a job, she plays sport, she's fine. Like, we can move on. Absolutely. And as a quick reminder, it's South Korea against Germany and Morocco v. Colombia in the final games of Group H, which are Thursday the 3rd of August, 11am UK time. So tomorrow looks like this. It's Costa Rica against Zambia in Group C at 8am and kicking off at the same time in the same group, Japan v. Spain. And then in Group B, the final games in that group, Republic of Ireland against Nigeria and Canada v. Australia all kick off at 11. Uh, Japan and Spain already through, but Tamara, what's catching your eye tomorrow? Um, Everything. I think this might Mm. be one of the most aesthetically pleasing matches of the tournament. I plan to make my, well, not make myself, order myself a nice dinner, have a glass of wine. I need to set myself up to be entertained. I think both of these teams are going to bring it, regardless of the fact that they've already locked their places into the next tournament. I think 
it's going to be a beautiful match. I have no idea. I'm not going to make any predictions, but I do know that it's going to be beautiful. Let's be clear that Tamara isn't in Australia. She's not having wine for breakfast. Uh, Steph, what do you think about Tamara? I think there's a lot on the line. Obviously, the focus where I am in Melbourne is Canada, Australia, because either, again, uh, assuming that Republic of Ireland does not get a result against Nigeria and meaning like a, a win with a certain goal differential, either your Olympic gold medalists go out or one of the tournament co-hosts go out and the co-hosts that a lot of people were tipping to go deep into the tournament. And so there's a lot of like, there was a lot of consternation today from both sides where the Canadians are anxious, the Australians are anxious, everybody's really anxious about the result. Both of them have key players that are like working their way back to full fitness. Obviously there's like some kind of weird Sam Kerr, kayfabe thing, like shrouded in secrecy, uh, skullduggery going on. But honestly, that's kind of typical for a World Cup, right? Where there's like maneuvering to give people false information. Like, honestly, it's like spy versus spy. But it does kind of help create spectacle. Like, I don't think Amy Park is, like, I don't think there are any tickets available. It's about a 30,000 seater. I don't think people are able to get tickets for this game anymore. Probably sold out. I was talking to an Australian journalist friend of mine, and she was like, yeah, Melbourne can get a little bit feral in terms of, like, the going nuts for sports and supporting their team. Hopefully they won't be booing anybody's national anthem this time around. But I think Amy Park's going to pop off or Melbourne Rectangular Stadium if we're being perfectly FIFA about it. <laughs> I, I love it. I can't wait. And I love how into it they are. Well, uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe to the Athletic Wins Football Podcast wherever you're listening now so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks to my guests, Tamara Griffin and Steph Young. And I'm Michelle Owen. We'll be back tomorrow. The Athletic. <laughs>